Okay, good evening. Uh, if you did not pick one of these sheets up as you walked in, please do go pick one up. And it is my version of an outline of Romans so that you can kind of see uh, how I see the place. If you pick up one of these sheets, you'll see kind of how I put together uh, the book, which is what we are going to be covering tonight, in addition to looking at a couple of the themes. Now, before we start, I must say, however, last week I read through the letter to Romans. I did so for a couple of reasons. One is we are supposed to be about the public reading of Scripture. Amen publicly read scripture. But secondly, I wanted all of you to know that in my series through Romans, I had at least one sermon that was completely theologically true. No mistakes. There you go. Read Romans. Uh, and I encourage you to read Romans. It has been said by uh, pastors smarter, men, women, wiser than me, that the letter to the Romans is a sermon. And the text that Paul uses to preach his sermon is Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, beginning in faith and ending in faith, as it is written, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Now, like any good sermon, one of the uh, tools that preachers use to come up with a big idea, a sentence that kind of encapsulates what that sermon is all about, and using that and repeating it over and over so that that one point can be driven home. Now, this is my version of that sentence, and no, it is not inspired, and therefore it is not perfect, but I think one way of helpfully understanding the various themes that we find in Romans is this sentence. Trust in the cross is power for life. Trust in the cross is power for life. As we go through the book of Romans, and we're going to uh, parasail through it tonight. I, I went through partial part of it this morning in Sunday school class and someone came up to me and said, well, you said we were going to water ski. And he said, you were pretty light on that water there. And I said, well, tonight we're going to go parasailing. So we're going to get a, a high view of Romans for which we will go back and get the details. But I want to give you four themes that if you can trace these themes through Romans, and we're not going to do that tonight very detailed, in a detailed manner, but if you can understand these four themes, you will have a solid 
interpretation of Romans. They're not the only themes by any stretch of the imagination, but they are four of them that help you unpack what's going on. In the first, you can write notes on the back here if you like. The first theme is, in my mind, a railroad track. And every railroad track has two kind of metal tracks, and you need both in order to stay on that track. The train has to have both. In the one track, Paul is explaining what is new about the good news. There's something altogether different. There's something that has changed from the Old Testament understanding of how God deals with men that was not entirely manifest in the Old Testament. But then, on the other hand, you have this track, this metal line, so to speak, that's on the other side of the track, that, but it's a continuation. So, what is new, and how is what is new a continuation of the old? You, you find that repeated throughout the whole Gospel. In fact, next week when we get to 1 through 7, we're going to see in verse 2, this theme already jumps off the page. How what is new about the good news and how what is new about the good news is a continuation of the old. The second major theme uh, that really helps you kind of unpack what's going on in the book of Romans is What's going on between this whole Jew and Gentile thing? How is it that they relate to each other? And to use uh, kind of the terminology that Pastor Benji and I's theological interpretation leads us to use, what is this whole thing about the people of God? Who are the Jews? Who are the Gentiles? How does this whole thing work? This is a, you really have to see what Paul is doing as you water ski or scuba dive in Romans to, to understand what's going on. The third theme is probably not really a theme um, specifically, but it's this idea of righteousness. What is righteousness? How does it work? What is justification? And what, what does it mean that God's people can be justified? And this whole idea is chalked through. And it keeps on coming up. And Paul has to keep on unpacking it so that we get a proper understanding of who we are before we are in Christ, and then certainly who we are after we are in Christ. And the fourth major theme that you have to get in order to really understand Romans is one that's going to shock all of you. It's the cross. The good news. How is it that we sinful human beings can be put into a right relationship with Jesus. What is the cross and, and what, what does that mean for us? So if you will read through Romans on your own and you will keep these four themes before your mind, you will all of a sudden see them popping up here and there straight through. And in fact, through the whole of 
Paul's writings, you will see these four themes pop up quite a bit, and it'll help you get to the heart of some pretty difficult passages. Romans is, has some difficult passages, and I am going to be the last person to say that I understand it comprehensively, because I don't understand it comprehensively. But I do understand what Paul is going on, what Paul is doing in this, and so that is what I intend to pass on to you. So let's go through. If you have this sheet, we're going to kind of bounce around it and hopefully you'll have a much better understanding of Romans. So let's go through uh, Romans quickly and we're going to kind of take a first level approach. What is Paul saying on the first level? Well, you get to Romans 1, 1 through 17, and Paul's just introducing his letter. He just wants to kind of get it out there. This is what's going on. He starts, gives the gospel. He kind of talks about his plans. But then he gets to the heart of what he is saying, which we just read a moment ago in Romans 1, 16 and 17. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And that is his guiding principle. That's where he jumps off. That's the scripture, so to speak, that the rest of the letter is a sermon to unpack. And if it is true, the one who by faith is righteous, then he has to give a solid understanding of what righteousness is. And the first thing that he needs to clarify in explaining righteousness is, newsflash, y'all ain't righteous. No one. You're all guilty and no one is righteous. And he has to get there to explain so that we can then figure out, okay, well, what does it take to be righteous? That is what he explains in 3.21 to 4.25. He talks about what does it mean to be declared righteous. And then he has to unpack that statement in 321 to 31 in Romans chapter 4. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul is, as he is throughout Romans, talking to this imaginary Jewish kind of counterpart who's asking questions and who's saying, wait a minute, Paul, you're you're wrong on this. And Paul's having this kind of debate in his head. And so what he does is if he's going to say that you can only be declared righteous by faith, if faith is what is necessary, then he can imagine his Jewish counterpart saying, dude, you're way wrong. You're way wrong. What about temple sacrifice? What about keeping the Sabbath? What about being circumcised? What about you know, keeping kosher laws? And so what Paul does in Romans chapter 4 is he simply goes back to the greatest hero in the Jewish mind, and that is Abraham. And he shows exactly what they would have recognized as this is the father of the faithful. But then what Paul turns it, and he says, no, this is the father of all who would be, who would belong to God, and we are declared righteous by God's promises. Well, if we are, if this statement, the one who by faith is righteous shall live, is true, then he had to establish that we aren't righteous, 
And then he needed to establish how it is that we are declared righteous or how righteousness is imputed to us so that we can then be a part of the people of God. But then he explains his next statement. Shall live. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And he takes four chapters. He, the, the rest of the book is kind of divided into three parts. And the first part is these four chapters that explain from a heavenly view what it is that in fact happened. And when we get there, we find out what it means that the righteous shall live. But again, once we see what it is to live, you have to deal with another question. Well, what about all the Old Covenant people? What about the Jews? What about the Old Covenant? And how does that relate to what's going on? And Paul takes three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, to explain the difference between true Israel as opposed to those who are not redeemed, and the people of God. And once he, he explains this, once he gives an understanding of how this works, then he is able to get to verses uh, chapter 12 to 15, 21, where he lays out how it is that God's people now, the church, should live in light of what's happened. The ending will then be the conclusion. Okay, so that, we just, we just kind of um, flew over Romans really fast. That's kind of the first level. Now we need to kind of get into a little bit of bones, even though <laughs> we're still only parasailing. So, everyone is unrighteous. This is one of the least popular parts of Romans. Why? Because the finger is pointed right at us. We are guilty. And Paul starts off in the finishing the second half of Romans 1, and he talks about how the immoral Gentile is unrighteous. Ah, no biggie. I got that. You guys know any slobs, any people who are just plain wicked, people who are around you that, man, they are bad people. You know anybody like that? Okay, don't anybody say Greg Burtonette. That guy is unrighteous. Paul starts with him because that's easy. I have a question. Does anybody here know any relatively decent, any good people who are not believers? Right? We do. Everybody has their flavor of sin. And some people's flavor of sin is kind of socially okay. And we don't mind them being around us. And they're good people. They're salt of the earth. Right? Paul says, ain't enough. Nope. It's not, it's not going to get you what you need. Oh, you know what? Sorry, let me back up. Um... No, we'll just, we'll just keep going forward. Uh, Paul said, the moralist, the Jew or the Gentile, either one is unrighteous. He, he can't measure up to God's standard. But, 
okay, Paul, the moralist pagan isn't going to measure up. But what about the Jew? I mean, we're Jews for crying out loud. We're good people. We have the temple. We have kosher. We marry good Jewish girls. We certainly have something in our favor, right? And Paul says, nope. All the externalities that you depend on don't matter. Guess what? All those externalities don't matter today either. You've been to Sunday school every week for 50 years. You give all your money. You don't drink. You don't chew. You don't go with girls who do. Guess what? All of those things don't make you fit for heaven by themselves. Now, is it true that there are good things that we should do? Yes, it is true. There are good things that we should, in fact, do. But the point is, they are not going to make us fit for heaven any more than going to synagogue and being circumcised and not working on the Sabbath did for the Jews as well. So then Paul makes a very should-be non-controversial statement But it really kind of gets under people's skin, and it'll probably get under your skin when we get there. In Romans chapter 3, 1 through 8, Paul says, God alone is righteous. That shouldn't be a problem, but it's worse than that. Because, yes, God alone is righteous, but we all, we're not. And he re emphasizes that in 3 uh, 9 through 20. God alone is righteous and everyone else is unrighteous. Chuck, moves straight to Romans 3.18. We'll go there. The, the essence of what sin is, the essence of what our problem is, is there is no fear of God before our eyes. Therefore, we are unrighteous. Because whether you're a wicked, immoral Gentile, or whether you're a moralist and pretty upright kind of dude, whether you go to Sunday school every week, whether all this other stuff, our basic problem as non-believers is we don't look to God. We look to ourselves. In fact, another way of understanding sin is idolatry. And idolatry is looking at something someone, some circumstance at the expense of looking at God. Now it is true, while we are looking at God, we will see things and we we will need to pay attention to money, for example. But if all we're doing is looking at that money and we're not looking at God, the money becomes an idol. becomes something to trip us up. Instead, What we see is trust in the cross is power for life. It's power for living as it is that we should. We'll see this as we go through. Now, if Romans 1, 16 and 17 is a scriptural passage about which all the rest of Romans is a sermon we get to the kind of the first change in the big sections in Romans and we find the most important paragraph in the Bible. 
Now, it is the most important paragraph in the Bible, only when you understand that it takes the rest of the Bible to unpack that. It takes the rest of the Bible for you to properly understand Romans 3, 21-26. But it's the most important passage in Scripture because it is a distillation of so much. And it is an unpacking of what Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, but now. I just want to stop there. Boy, when we, we're going to get to this passage, it's probably going to be a couple months. But we're going to get there. And there's such a strong difference. Paul is bad, 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 bad. But now. The righteousness of God has been manifested. It has been displayed for all to see apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. There's that railroad track going on right there. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen. The, the, the problem are culture struggles with is this idea of well how do bad things happen to good people how many of you guys have ever heard a statement very similar to that right why do bad things happen to good people that is not paul's problem how is it paul is asking that god can be just and he can justify sinners at the same time A judge who lets a person who is guilty of murder walk the streets is not just. So how is it that God can make it so that we walk free? How is it that God can make it so that you and I go to heaven? That's Paul's problem. He doesn't have a problem with why do bad things happen to good people? Because by that standard, none of us are good. And that's why Paul then needs to go straight to Abraham. And chapter 4 is an explanation of how it is that we are declared righteous by grace through faith. And it is only when you and I trust in the cross which is power for life. So now Paul... Paul, his, his statement that he took out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the one who by faith is righteous shall live, is now in one sense complete. We weren't righteous, but we became righteous by faith. So we have this understanding. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And now he gets to kind of the point. And the point is going to be that we live and praise God. Jesus, what do we see in Romans chapter 5? We shall live free 
from the wrath of God. There's Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's problem is not that you know, we are somehow spared the bad things in life. Paul's problem is how do we have peace with God when you and I are enemies of Him? And one of the, the biggest uh, passages that people have so much problem with in Romans is Romans chapter 5, 11 through the end of 5, 21 where Paul tells us exactly why it is that it's happened. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. And depending on which one we are in, we either have sin, which leads to death, or we have righteousness imputed to our account, which leads to life. So, the one who by faith is righteous shall live free from the wrath of God. Chapter 6. The one who by faith is righteous shall live free from sin. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Then, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul now moves to the next question of now that we are in Christ, how is it that we are to live in respect to sin? Are we still in Adam? Or are we now in Christ? And the answer has to be that we are in Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin. Oh, wait a minute. That brings up a problem. Uh, raise your hand if today you made it to uh, you know, 10 minutes to 7 without sinning. Raise your hand. Oh, wait. You mean all of us Christians still sin today? Raise your hand if that's true about you. Right? So now we have another problem. Now we need to be the one who by faith is righteous shall live free from the law. And that's where we get Romans chapter 7. Yes, I am going to argue that Paul is talking about you and me. He's talking about believers in Romans chapter 7. And I think that for numerous reasons, but one of which is how this is laid out. And when he gets to verse 4, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. Who? Which other? The one who has been raised from the dead. Why have you been made to belong to Him? In order that we may bear fruit for God. And he's going to get on. And he's going to talk about, Oh, wretched man that I am. Though I continue to be a sinner in this life, though I continue to sin in this life, I am set free by Christ and there we get to the Mount Everest of the Himalayas. Romans chapter 8. The one who by faith is righteous shall live free from the wrath of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by my flesh... 
could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. And He condemned sin in my flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. My friends, this is the glorious news. But you had to get the bad news first. You had to have 1.18 through 3.20 to understand the situation we were in. Then you had to have 3.21 through the end of 4 to understand how it is that we can change this. Then you had to see what it is that God has done for us so that we can be free. But like I said a few minutes ago, as, as we were s- s- flying over Romans, wait a minute! What are we going to do with the Jews? And that's where Paul talks about a distinction of two things. And boy, I, I, we will get to this, but we're going to have to fly through it. Talks about in 9, 1 to 29, true Israel and election. What, what does it look like when God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated? In verses 6 through 8, Paul lays out what I think, at least at this point, is his most tell, telling statement of these three verse chapters. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because we are his offspring. But, then he quotes two passages, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Well, I'm sorry, that's another verse. Um, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise who are counted as his offspring. So he needs to deal with this problem of Israel. And he, so he, he heads straight to the most politically incorrect passage in Scripture. God chooses you. You are either elect or you're not. Ouch. Be a little easier on my ego, Paul. <laughs> Give me a little bit of you know, you know, nice balm before you smack me like that. But why? What's next? Paul addresses in very short order, it's not by works. Your good works, as important as they are. You, are, you will hear me say this a lot. You need to pray. You need to be in God's Word. If you're not, you're in trouble. But that ain't what gets you into heaven. And the reason, end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10, Paul says it doesn't matter. True Israel pursues righteousness by faith instead of by works. And if you're going to Sunday school and Sunday evening service because that's going to earn you a softer place in heaven, stop coming. Serious. If you're coming here because you think you're going to get brownie points with God, just stop coming. Give me a call. We'll meet for coffee. Chapter 10 then explains what comes next. If if righteousness is by faith instead of works, then true Israel needs to pursue God through the good news, through the Word that is 
right next to us. The word implanted to us. I think that's verse um, 8 or 9. And then in chapter 11, he really tackles this. What is the true Israel? Who are the Gentiles? And what is this people of God? And he's just so full of what God is doing that he has to stop his letter and sing a song that is just how great God is. And just in case there's anybody who has read these first 11 chapters who's still with Paul, he gives another one of those golden verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Um, Never quote Scripture by memory in front of people. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this role, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so now Paul needs to, after he's unpacked this theology, he needs to give us some direction in how it is we go about living our lives. Today. And so he breaks it down. He's going to talk about living in light of God the Spirit. Then in Romans 13, living in light of government. Then living in light of love, which is where we get verses 8 through 10, where he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it is the fulfilling of the law. Then Paul immediately gets into one of those passages that we don't like again. And he tells us that we actually have to love one another. Right? We have to live in light of other believers. And then the middle of Romans 15, we need to live in light of non-believers. This effectively ends Paul's main body of his letter, starting in 1.18 through 5.15, what is it, 21, where he unpacks this, what it means, the one who by faith is righteous shall live, Chapter 15, 22 through the end are kind of Paul's conclusion. He tells them his plans. He gives them greetings and instructions. And then one more time, he sings a song to God's glory where he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, it will help, and hopefully uh, you will remember, because hopefully I'll remind you as we go through Romans, this overview, this big view of Romans, so that when we get to the little passages, you can see how they fit together. Now, by way of exhortation, open up Romans. Read Romans 
30 times. I just picked a number. It was the number I used back when I was going through uh, reading the New Testament 30 times. Read it 30 times. Guess what? If you read four chapters a day, it'll take you four days to get through Romans. If you read it three chapters a day, you'll get through it in five days, and then you'll be, the next day you'll be bumped into Romans chapter 2. You'll get through 16, 1 and 2. And then you just keep on going. If you read it two chapters a day, it'll take you eight days. But just start reading it. Because that is how you will get familiar with it. If you just wait for someone to preach it to you on Sunday night, it won't be enough. You won't have it in your head and in your heart. Read it for yourself. Because the same Spirit who worked in and through Jesus is at work in and through you. And God's Word will not return to Him void. Make a plan. Decide that you are going to read through Romans 30 times. And if it takes you a year to do it, we'll probably still be preaching in Romans. <laughs> no, let's just be honest here, all right? It takes you a year. So what? Who cares? Would you rather be a year older than you are right now having read Romans 30 times? Or would you rather be alive a year from now, a year older, and not have read Romans 30 times? Just do it. If you don't have a plan that you're already using reading through Scripture, read through Romans. By the way, binge watch Jesus too. Mark is not my favorite gospel, but I am so excited about going through Mark because I've never really studied Mark. I've spent almost all my time in Matthew. So I'm really excited about going through Mark as well. And, and while I'm reading through Romans, three chapters a day right now with my boys, I'm also planning on getting going in Mark. 16 chapters. There you go. Same thing. Same thing. Read two in Mark in the morning. Read two in Romans at night. Uh, you will get through it and you will be the richer for it. Lord Almighty, bless us. Let us have your word open to us so that we can binge watch Jesus. And then we can binge watch Jesus working in us and through us to make us the men and women of God you have created us to be. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to see you at work. Lord, so that we will love others. Lord, there are so many around us who need us to love them. And we need Your Word active and living inside us so that we can love each other and we can thereby love and glorify You as well. Bless us, Jesus, this week so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen.